uh, everybody awake and ready? Praise the Lord. It's a good day, isn't it? Um, if there's anyone here I haven't met, um, my name is Ben. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm excited to speak with you this morning. I'll tell you something. When I was in high school, um, for a brief period, I was a skateboarder. Or at least, let me say, I pretended that I was a skateboarder. Have you ever heard the, the, the phrase, fake it till you make it? You ever heard that? Well, I was faking it. Um, and uh, I, uh, my friends were skaters, and I tried to wear skater clothes, which is really just baggy clothes, and have a skater haircut, which really was just like no haircut, and uh, listen to skater music, which is like punk music. And I hung out with them. I even had a skateboard I would carry around when I hang out with them. But the truth is, and don't tell them this, but the truth is, I wasn't really a skater. Um, I wasn't very good at skateboarding, is what I mean to say. So we would go and hang out, and we, of course, would go to, like, a, a park or, or some, you know, public place where we could be a nuisance and, like, you know, jump off the, the steps or ride on the railings and other things like that. And I would go, and I'd hang out with them, um, and I'd set up things for them to, to jump over with their skateboards or hold the camera and take pictures of it or whatever like that. Um, but I actually really wasn't that good at skateboarding. I just, this was my crowd. These were my friends. This is who I was trying to fit in with. Um, so I was trying to fake it like I fit in and have all the right clothes and say all the right things. Um, and I think I was passing. I think that they, I think most of them, you know, thought that I knew what I was doing. Um, but I was faking it. This morning, we are going to look at a passage in the Bible where Jesus talks about true worshipers. And we're going to ask ourselves this question. Are we true worshipers? Are we faking it? Um, so we're going to look at a story. It's in John chapter 4. Uh, but before you turn there, before we put it up on the screens, I'm going to read to you a paraphrase of the story. Because it's a little bit longer and it's a story, it's helpful, I think, just to paraphrase it. Um, help you get a feel for what's going on here in the story, okay? So, a um, little background. This is Jesus is, has begun teaching. He's doing miracles. He's got a crowd of disciples that are following him around. And he's traveling around the, the countryside to just different cities in Israel and teaching. And at one point, it says, this is in uh, John chapter 4, he says, Jesus left the Judean countryside to go to Galilee. Judea is in the south, and Galilee is in the north, so he's traveling um, north through Israel. And to get where he wanted to go, he had to pass through Samaria. And another real quick background note, just to catch you up with what's going on, Jesus was, obviously was Jewish, uh, living with the Jews in Israel, but there was another group of people that lived in Israel at that time, and they were the Samaritans, uh, which to make a long history very short, uh, they were connected with the, the Jewish people, but they were also a slightly distinct group, and there was some racial tension between the two. Um, so even though they had a shared history, and they had some shared ancestry, and they shared a location, they didn't really um, associate with each other. They didn't really talk to each other, and there was some bad blood between the two groups. So he has to travel through this Samaritan area. Um, so he came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Uh, one more, I promise, the last background note, but one more background note is that Jacob was the father of Israel. He was the father of the 12 sons who became the, 
the, um, the people of Israel. But he, so he was also a part of the Samaritans' history, too. So this is a shared, uh, you know, ancestor that they would all look to as their, their you know, great-grandfather or whatever. So Jacob's well was there and it bordered the, these two places. Jesus, worn out by this trip, he sat down at the well, and it was about noon. And a woman, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water. And Jesus said, could you draw me a, a drink of water? Because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. So he was there alone. And the Samaritan woman was kind of taken back. And she's like, wait, how can a Jew ask a Samaritan woman to get them a drink? And there's actually a note in the Bible that says, because Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. And Jesus answered her. And he said, if you knew the generosity of God, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And the woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with. The well is deep. How are you going to draw living water? Are you better than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and then drank from it and gave it to his, his, his sons and his livestock? And Jesus replied and said, everyone who drinks this water from the well is going to get thirsty again and again and again. But anyone who drinks from the water that I give will never get thirsty. And the water I give will become a spring gushing up to give endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water, then I won't have to come back to this well. Jesus said, okay, go, call your husband, and then come back. And the woman replied, said, I have no husband. Jesus says, well, that's nicely put. When you say I have no husband, that's true. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. So you did speak the truth, sure enough. And the woman says, oh, I see, you're a prophet. Well, then, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. There was like a, a mountain near that well where they believed was their place of worship for the Samaritans. She said, our ancestors worshipped God on this mountain, but the Jews insist that worship is supposed to be in Jerusalem, right? Isn't that right? Jesus said, believe me, the time is coming when Samaritans will worship the Father, not on a mountain and not in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. The Jews worship in the light of day. God's way of salvation came through the Jews. But the time is coming. In fact, the time has now come. But it doesn't matter what you're called. It doesn't matter where you go to worship. What matters is who you are and the way you live. That's what counts to God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. God is a spiritual being himself. And those who worship him must do it out of their spirits, their true selves in adoration. And the woman says, um, I don't know about all that, but I do know there is a Messiah coming. And when he comes, he will make everything clear. And Jesus says, I am he. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further because he is the Messiah. Amen. Lord, as we look at this text, I pray that you would breathe upon it and speak to our hearts. I pray that you would awaken something within us um, to love you and to worship you. Uh, and we just, we're grateful to be here this morning to hear from your word. Amen. Amen. Worship at its core is a response to Jesus. Worship is a response to what Jesus is doing. It's a response to seeing him 
at work. So what I'd like to do is look at this text a little closer and see Jesus at work and see what he does so well and how he does it. I love this conversation he has with this woman because it shows us what a gracious, gentle, loving uh, God he is. So if you look at it, and we will look at it, the conversation starts with water. Just a real simple, like a drink of water. And then it goes to the right place of worship. And then it goes to her personal life. And then it goes to the Messiah. Somehow, in a span of like a short conversation, he goes from water to worship to the Messiah. And that's what he does so well and so lovingly. Um, I love it. So we're going to look at verse 7. This is, if you do have your Bibles and you want to look there, you can. I think it will also be up on the screens. This is going to be um, John 4, starting in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Uh, and she said, Well, how can you ask me for a drink? Because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Um, and so the, she, she immediately recognizes, like, there is this sort of racial divide. Like, this, this something isn't, isn't right here. But Jesus, like doesn't really uh, initiate on that level. Um, he goes to another level, and he says, if you knew the gift of God that is in front of you, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. Now, when Jesus says living water, he's talking about spiritual life. I think you and I catch, catch, on, that, catch on to that, right? He's not talking about physical, literal water. He's talking about something spiritual. But it seems like she must have missed that cue because he says, like, you ask me and I'll give you living water. And she responds and she says, how are you going to draw this living water? You don't even have a bucket. This well is so, you're going to get water from there? With, it doesn't make any sense. Are you better than Jacob who dug the well? So I, I don't know if she's, like, making fun of him or she just doesn't get it, but she's still going on about how are you going to get water out of this well? And Jesus says, he continues, he says, listen, everyone who drinks this water in the well will become thirsty. But if you drink the water that I will give you, you'll never be thirsty. And that water will become in you a spring that wells up to eternal life. So clearly he's communicating to her, this is something greater than a natural water. It's a spiritual life. And she says, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. And when I read that, I think she's heard what Jesus is saying about spiritual life, and she wants it. But then she says, give me this water, so then I won't have to come back to the well to keep drawing water. And I'm like, oh, she's so close, but I think it went over her head. Um, she, I think what she says is like, listen, I don't know who you are, and I don't understand what you're talking about, but that sounds good, though. I wouldn't have to come to this well every single day to draw water. I mean, this is kind of weird, this whole, like, well springing up within you. I don't know what that means, but hey, I wouldn't have to come to the I wouldn't have to come to the well anymore. So I guess that sounds good. Like what if someone said to you, like, I'm gonna give you food and you'll never have to go to a grocery store again. You'd be like, okay, sign me up for whatever that is, because that would be nice. She sees a solution to her problem. She sees a source for her constant need for water. And I think she missed, or she almost missed, what Jesus was saying, because she was so focused on the natural. She was focused on the, like, her daily need, her daily life, that she missed that he was talking about something spiritual. 
And just to be clear, I don't blame her at all. I mean, it, it makes sense that she's just going about her routine. She's out at the well. She's just drawing water. And here's this uh, odd Jewish guy asking her for water. She's not thinking, like, is there something spiritual coming from this? She's just thinking in terms of water. She almost misses what Jesus says. And this is important. Get this. Sometimes we get so focused on what feels most urgent that we miss what is most important. Sometimes we're so focused on our needs and what we're going through and what we're doing, what feels like it's right in front of us, that we miss what's most important. My wife and I, we have three young kids. Um, and if you have young kids or you, you remember having young kids, you'll, you'll relate to this, that sometimes life can get a little hectic. Actually, it might be more accurate to say that sometimes life is not hectic, but usually it is. And it's just, it's, it's easy to get focused um, on, you know, get your kids ready for school and get them to school so then we can get the house cleaned so that we can get dinner ready, so we can feed the kids, so we can get them to practice on time, so we can get them to bed in time, so we can get them to sleep, so we can get up in the morning and do it all again the next day. And it's just like one thing leads to the next, and you just keep going through life. And I realized, I was thinking about this the other day, like how you just get sucked into this routine of just doing all the things that need to get done. And I realized sometimes we're so busy doing family stuff that we forget to be with our families. And we're so busy, like, doing the things that we have to do with them, like, all right, quick, let's eat, quick, get in the car, quick, let's do this, that, like, we miss, hey, how's it going, and, and what are you going through, and what's going on in your life? We miss the important thing because we're so busy what feels, with what feels urgent. And this just doesn't have to be people with young kids. I think everyone does this on some level. Um, you, anybody who has things that need to get done, that's pretty much everybody in the room, right? Anyone who has things to get done will find yourself losing sight of the good things that are right in front of you. So what does this have to do with worship? Because the truth is we get so busy with our schedules and what we're doing that we forget to appreciate and to enjoy the God who made this life we live. And we, we forget to enjoy the God who is with us in those moments because we're so focused on the, the routine and, the, and the, the natural things around us. We miss the spiritual things, which is understandable. That's what happens in life. That's why I want to draw your attention back to a God who's with us. And I got to be honest, this happens to me. I hate to admit it, but it happens to me on Sunday mornings. It's kind of embarrassing. It's the time we should be thinking about God, but it's when it happens to me the most. It's because um, part of my job and part of my responsibility, I come in, I play guitar in the worship team, so I'm thinking about some of that stuff. Um, I'm helping make sure that we have the right videos playing and the audio doesn't sound really weird and the lights are working and the cameras are working and, and uh, you know, people are where they need to be. And, and I'm thinking about all these little details of, like, make sure that, you know, the church is ready to, to do church. And I get up here, and I'm playing guitar, and I'm thinking about, all right, who's speaking later, and um, what video, what announcement are we doing, and is the right, whatever, right, slides up there. And I'm like, God, what am I doing? Like, I'm in the middle of worship, and, but my head is somewhere else. And whenever I realize that, I'm like, it hits me, and I'm like, God, don't let me miss this moment when you're here, and we're singing about you. Don't let me get so caught up in details and things to do that I miss 
what is so important. Don't get so focused on what feels urgent in life that you miss what's most important. So it seems like the woman at the well might not have been picking up on what Jesus was saying. So he very gently shifts the conversation in a different direction. And I say gently, but actually it wasn't very gentle. It was pretty abrupt. He says, okay, go call your husband. Spoiler alert, he knows that she doesn't have a husband. But what is he saying to her? Yeah, yeah. Hey, go call your husband. Let's see where this goes. And she says quite, you know, coyly, oh, well, I have no husband. He said, you're right. And you say you have no husband. You've had five. And the one you have now is not your husband. And I love Jesus' response here because he doesn't just like straight up call her a liar. Like when she said, I have no husband, he could have been like, you're a liar. You're a sinner. He didn't do that. He very gently made it clear that he knew what was going on. He made it very clear that, that he knew. Um, and so, and in her response, so he says, well, I can see what you've said is true. You, you know, you're living with a man that's not your husband. She obviously doesn't want to talk anymore about who's had how many husbands and, you know, let's talk about something else. So she quickly changes the topic and she says, okay, I can see you're a prophet. Um, and then she asks a question. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Remember I said there was a mountain near the well. She said, the Samaritans worship on this mountain, but the Jews say we need to worship in Jerusalem. Um, isn't that right? So she doesn't, she doesn't actually ask the question. She just points it out, but you can see there's a question in there. She's saying, you're a prophet. You tell me, are we supposed to worship on this mountain? Are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem? What's right? And actually, I wonder, is she asking a question, or maybe is this because she's aware of the, ra the racial tension and the political tension? Is she trying to pick a fight? She's saying, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I say this is right. You say that's right. So maybe she's avoiding the personal question about her husband's and her lifestyle, and she just wants to you know, pick a political fight, maybe. Um, the question is, where are we supposed to worship? And how are we supposed to worship? Where do the true worshipers worship? Where and how? And so we look at Jesus' response because it's great. But it's easy to assume that she's trying to avoid a personal conversation or maybe she's trying to start an argument. And a lot of commentators, as I read, as I studied this, a lot of commentators made that suggestion. However, I did find one scholar who said, maybe she's not. Maybe this is a genuine question. Maybe she came to this well thinking about water for the rest of her day, and this man has brought up, um, has stirred something in her, and she's talking to Jesus, and something is stirring inside of her, and, and she doesn't know what to do. And she knows she needs to get things right with God, but she doesn't know how to do that. She doesn't know what that's supposed to look like. So she goes to the only thing she knows. Well, we worship God in the temple on the mountain, I guess. So maybe this is a genuine question. Maybe she's saying, I know I need God, but I don't know where to start. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? I can't say for sure what she was thinking, but if you look at Jesus' response, it makes me think this is true because he says, listen, believe me, the hour is coming when you're not going to worship on the mountain and you're not going to worship in Jerusalem. You don't know what you're worshiping. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry about how, don't worry about where. What matters is what happens in your heart. 
He says, the time is coming when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that's what counts. And when she hears that, she says, interesting her response, she says, I don't know about that, but I know there's a Messiah coming. I know there's a Savior coming who's going to make everything right. I know there is a hope. I don't understand what's happening right now, and I know the way I'm living is not right, but I know there's a solution coming. And Jesus says, I am he. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the Messiah. And now, if you have read the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, you'll recognize this is one of the only a very few times when Jesus ever clearly says that he is the Messiah. Usually, he reveals this in like parables or in riddles or in some mystery. He doesn't usually come out and say this. In fact, sometimes he even tells people, don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. But here, he says to her very clearly, I am your Savior. I am your hope. I am your Messiah. I have the answers. He led this woman in a very short span of time, talking about water in a well, where should we worship, to I am your Savior. And that's how he works. He's so gentle. He's so loving. He's so wise, and he does that for us. He gets to the heart of what needs to be dealt with. He gets to what we really need and what we really long for. He knows how to do that. She misunderstood the thing about the water. She was trying to avoid a conversation about her boyfriend. She had questions, confused about the right place to go to worship. But as long as she stayed engaged in this conversation with Jesus, as long as she didn't leave the conversation with Jesus, she found her Savior. So here's what I want to say. If you feel like, if you ever felt like this, like you don't belong in church, you ever felt like you don't know the right way to pray, you don't know the right way to worship, you don't know what you're doing here, you're not sure if you're doing it right, here's my advice. Start wherever you are. Come to Jesus wherever you are, with whatever you know, with whatever you believe, and he will lead you where you need to go. If we can be honest with Jesus, then he can lead us where we need to go. If we can come open and honest, he can deal with the things that need to be dealt with. I'm sure that he will. I've had days, personally, when I have felt distant from God. Um, You know, I've had great days where I feel like I'm close to him, and he feels like he's speaking to me, and I know what he's saying, and I've had days where I just feel, eh, I don't really feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. Maybe I was having a bad mood. Maybe I, I, you know, yelled at somebody, was, you know, mean to my wife or whatever, and I'm feeling bad, and I'm just like, I am not a good Christian, and I don't feel like I should be praying right now. I just, you know, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. When I feel like that, the enemy tries to tell me that I can't worship yet. I can't pray yet. He tells me, wait, 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 you need to be a little bit more spiritual before you can worship. You need to be a little bit more holy, a little more perfect before God will hear you pray. And I'm telling you, that's an absolute lie. The best thing you can do in that moment is lean into that relationship. The thing that he wants you to do is lean into worship and come to him. And maybe you're like, listen, I don't want to pray right now because I'm mad. But he hears that and he says, okay, 
we can work with that. You're like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it right now because I know I messed up. I know I did something I should have done. That's okay. That's okay. We can talk about that. You're like the woman at the well. You, you, you missed the thing about the water. That's okay. Um, I can lead you where, you where you need to go. Just like the woman at the well, he can always get down to the thing that really needs to be dealt with. And when I was at uh, Elam um, Bible Institute, we had a teacher there who used to say that um, Jesus always gets to the heart of the matter and is always a matter of the heart. Meaning, when there's stuff going on and I'm, I'm feeling down or worried or upset about something, the issue, the relationship, the problem, the finances, whatever it is, is not really the issue. The issue is something deeper in me. And he knows how to get there. and He knows how to work on that. And you can see that the way he responds to this woman here, like if you look at verse 23, verse 23, I think, is the central uh, theme of this passage here. It's the, the most important passage. Um, it answers her question about where are we supposed to worship? How are we supposed to worship? Where do we find God? And he says, listen, the time is coming. The time is now when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worshiper the Father is seeking. The other, the other paraphrase I read earlier said, like, these are the people that the Father is looking for. Man, when I hear that, I'm like, that's who the Father is looking for? I want him to find me. I want to be that person that he finds that says, worshiping in spirit and in truth. I started off by asking this question, you know, are we true worshipers or are we faking it? And here, Jesus gives us the answer. He says, true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and truth. It's not defined by being in the right place or being at the right time. It's not defined by, you know, the right behavior or the right lifestyle. True worship is defined by your heart. Is your heart turned towards God, and is, is it open to God? Let me put it to you this way. True worship will change your life. True worship will change your life. It's what changes you. This is the test of true worship. Is your worship meaningful enough that it changes who you are? To worship from your spirit means that you genuinely believe what you're saying or what you're singing, that it's, it's not fake, you're not just repeating it, but somewhere deep inside of you, you say, yes, this is what I believe, and you worship with your heart. Um, and to, wor- to worship in truth, I would argue, means that with your life, it's how you act when you're not, wait, how you act when you're not singing reflects what you are singing. Does how you act reflect what you, sing, what you say and what you sing? That's what it means to worship in truth. That's what it means for true worship to change your life. David Edwards, who is uh, Pastor John's grandfather, he wrote a little book about worship. Um, and he said some uh, really profound things in his little book. But one of the things he said that I like the most is this quote from his book. He said, it's our genuine worship of God that prepares us to become all that he intends for us to be in order that we may do all that he intends for us to do. It's really good, so I'm going to read it again. Our genuine worship of God prepares us to become all that he intends for us to be in order that we may do all that he intends for us to do. 
in our worship, we are shaped to become more like Him. In true worship, we are shaped to become like Him. And this, this is a, a spiritual principle, but it's also a very, very practical principle. And I'll give you a practical example of how this works. Have you ever left church with a worship song stuck in your head? Anyone ever have that? And you have a song stuck in your head um, all week. That song gets it's stuck in there. Um, I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's part of the way that God works. Uh, you know, last week I was singing, uh, I was singing, um, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. And that was stuck in my head. And as I walk through my life, I begin to think, do I see his evidence in my life? And I'm like, yeah, I see my family. That's evidence of God's goodness. I have a great job. That's evidence of God's goodness. We have a nice house. That's evidence of God's goodness. And this worship song that we sang on Sunday morning begins to stir my heart um, throughout the whole week. So there's a very practical element to worshiping that changes your life. But it's also spiritual. It's also deeper. So Worship might start in here when we sing together, but if it's true worship, it will change something in you and affect how you live your life. So at this time, we're going to transition back into a time of singing and a time of worship. Um, and I want to challenge you right now, wherever you're coming from, to worship the Lord with your, from your heart. Even if you came in here with a bad attitude, Maybe you came in here and you've had five husbands. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> maybe you came in here with, <clears throat> and maybe you, like, I, like me with the skateboarder, maybe you were faking it. Maybe you came in faking it today. It's okay. Wherever you're at, start right there, and let's worship the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, if we're going to release the parents now. Parents can head downstairs and pick up um, their kids. Uh, the worship team will come back up, and we're going to transition uh, into a time of worship.